Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, listeners. This episode of Luke's English Podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Just check out audibletrial.com forward slash teacher Luke or click one of the buttons on my website that says Audible and you can get a free audiobook. Okay, now let's get started with this episode and here we go. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, listeners. Welcome to Luke's Film Club. This is one of those episodes of Luke's English Podcast in which we focus on a classic moment from the movies. This one is an episode all about Back to the Future, which is one of my all-time favourite films. And I'm not alone because I know that this is also one of the most popular films of the last few decades in countries all over the world. It's a really entertaining and very fun film which also contains various subtexts related to the complexities of time travel, as well as, a, as well as a few fun visions of the future. Also, in the film's sequel, the main characters, Marty McFly and Doc Brown, end up travelling into the future. And to what date? Well, it's Wednesday, October the 21st, 2015. In fact, that is today's date. Uh, that's the day when I'm recording this. It is Wednesday the 21st, 2015. Uh, so um, it seems to be the perfect moment uh, for me to do an episode of Luke's English Podcast. In fact, Luke's Film Club uh, devoted to this modern classic. Um, and so this is basically International Back to the Future Day today. Uh, and there's only one International Back to the Future Day, I think, in all of history. 21st of October 2015. And so this has to be the day on which I record this episode. Um, So in this episode, I'm going to talk about these things. Um, Here's here's an agenda for the episode. So first of all, I'll tell you uh, a little bit about when I first saw it and what it means to me personally. Uh, I'm going to talk about the plot of the film, uh, which could be quite a challenge because it's a slightly complex film, especially since there are three parts. I'm going to try and do the plot of all three parts. So, yes, spoiler alert. I'll tell you more about that in a moment. Third thing, I'd like to talk to you about the themes of the film and some of the lessons that we can learn from this story. Uh, fourth, um, some bits of information or things that you might not know Uh, already about this film. Uh, I'll also talk to you about uh, the predictions of 2015, those future predictions that the film made uh, when it was originally made in 1980-something. The original's 1985, I think the sequel was a couple of years later, but they made some predictions about um, what life would be like today. Let's look at those predictions, how many of them are correct. Um, I'll also talk to you about the DeLorean time machine, the time machine from the film, and uh, we'll explore some of the technical things about this time machine. How exactly does it work? 
And that will lead us on to a, um, a bit about time travel itself. Is time travel possible? How is it possible? Let's look at a few different approaches to that subject. And then uh, I will also mention a few things about some of the paradoxes created by the film's time-travelling story. Okay, so that's a lot of stuff, isn't it? Ironically, uh, for the subject of this episode, ironic- or ironically, time will definitely be a factor in this one, because it will be very hard for me to squeeze all of that into one hour. Uh, Let's see what happens, I suppose. It's probably going to be another two-part episode or something. Um, uh, But Back to the Future is a great film, isn't it? Come on, it's brilliant. Um, I know it's really popular all over the world. Um, It's really fun and interesting. I've been sort of mentioning or hinting at the fact that I was going to do a Back to the Future episode for a while now, including, you know, uh, I sent a couple of tweets out or something on Facebook saying, I'm thinking of doing an episode about Back to the Future, but it's really difficult because it's quite a complicated subject. What would you like me to talk about? And so I've actually tried to incorporate um, many of the things that you replied to me uh, in this episode. So it could end up being uh, a bit of an epic one. Two episodes, possibly. Anyway, let's start. Let's let's get down to business. Let's talk about Back to the Future, however long it takes. Maybe what I will do is, is somehow use a time machine as a way of making a more efficient use of my time. I've no idea how that would work. Um, maybe you can use a time machine so that if you listen to all of this and you feel like it wasn't worth it, you can go back in time and just reclaim uh, the time that it took you to listen to this. But I think it's going to be worth it, ladies and gentlemen, yes. So, um, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, uh, which is usually what I say when I talk about films on the podcast. Uh, Be careful, because I'm going to mention some parts of the plot in this film. I say some parts of the plot. I'm probably going to mention all of the main plot details uh in this certainly in this first episode of the of uh of this back to the future mini series 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 so i will mention some uh plot points in this film so if you haven't seen the film already or if you haven't seen it before then be careful because i will probably give away some of the surprises in the story i'm assuming that the the vast majority of you out there listening to this have already seen this film um because i know that it's it's popular all over the world but i'm sure that some of you haven't seen it um so just be aware that i will probably reveal some fairly big plot details in this episode so you might want to watch the film actually before listening to this episode um or at least just um yeah, well, just be aware. Uh, maybe watch the film before you listen to the episode. Um, but saying that, though, I think it's actually quite hard to truly spoil the film. Just because there are so many things about it that make it exciting and, and interesting. Uh, I've seen the film and the sequels lots of times, and I enjoy it more and more every time, even though I know exactly what's going to happen next. It's so well-directed. And so well put together that it's always exciting, no matter how many times you've seen it. But anyway, watch out, there are spoilers ahead. I've been trying so hard, in fact, for ages, to find a way to properly cover the subject of this film in a podcast. It's really hard, because there's just so much to say. The storyline of the film is pretty complex, and the themes of time travel, family, future technologies... And just the idea of controlling your own destiny are just really big things that I feel deserve a lot of attention. So I'm I'm not sure I can, as I said, I'm not sure I can squeeze it all into one hour of chat. This may end up becoming two episodes, but you don't mind, do you? Why would you mind? Um, 
I mean, alternatively, I could have just done a five-minute video on YouTube, you know, like the best five moments from Back to the Future. But really, I want to go into more depth and I want to get sidetracked by different subjects like themes of technology and time travel. So it will just take as long as it needs. Um, In fact, it's a bit ironic that I'm talking about time limitations when this is a film about time travel and the complexities which surround it. Essentially, I'm just going to focus on the subject first, and if that means it's a long episode, I'm going to to put the subject first, all right, rather than time constraints first. And if that means it's a long episode, then so be it. In fact, since this is a podcast, um, then you do actually have some control over the time here, because you can skip forwards in the episode, you can go back uh, in the episode and listen again, or you can simply freeze time by pressing the pause button. And then you can just start it again later. So you are in control of time. I mean, as I'm recording it in real time, I don't get the chance to pause and rewind. But when you're listening to it now, you can. You can control the time. Pause it, rewind it, fast forward it. Essentially, uh, you're in control. I I will focus on trying to make the content... uh, I'll I'll focus on just trying to create this episode and then you can choose how to listen to it, all right? Um, Just a reminder... A lot of the things that I will be saying in this episode are um, written either as transcripts or as notes on the page for this episode. Um, So you might want to check that out if you're learning. You know, if you want to do a bit of study, check out the transcript for uh, most of this episode. Um, So that's obviously at teacherluke.co.uk. So let's start. Now, obviously, there are other films and books I could have talked about that deal with time which are really great, like H.G. Wells' The Time Machine, that classic book, and it's not a bad film either. Uh, The Terminator, um, Looper, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Interstellar, all of them deal with time travel to an extent, but this one is about my favourite time travel film, and that is, of course, Back to the Future. So, uh, when did I first see the film, and why do I like it so much? Well, um, I remember first seeing this film in 1985 when it was released in the cinemas originally. Um, so I saw this as a child with my brother and my dad. Um, my dad took us to see it probably sometime on a Saturday afternoon or something like that. I was about eight years old at the time, and I think James was about ten. Um, and uh, it was just a really great experience being taken to the cinema by my dad or by my mum. But I mean, for some reason, particularly when it's just it was just the boys together, uh, my brother, uh, my dad, and me. And the gang of us would go to the cinema to watch an adventure film. It was always a really great moment. And I've got some fantastic memories of going to see some really great uh, films uh, in that period. In in a a ceiling? No. In a cinema in Ealing, which had a ceiling, of course. But um, anyway, it was... We used to live in Ealing, which was in West London, and there's a cinema there, and we that's where we saw all of these films. So we saw Back to the Future, we saw Return of the Jedi, uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Flight of the Navigator, uh, The Goonies, E.T., and more. So it's just a kind of really great time for me. Um, so um, I think I actually managed to understand pretty much uh, what was going on in the film, Um which I think is evidence of the fact that it's a really well-told story. Even as an eight-year-old, I was able to pretty much get my head around the fact that he was going back in time and what that meant about how it 
it would affect the future and you know the complexities of of the 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 times timescape and stuff I, I managed to hold it in my head i think it's just because of the way the film was so well put together uh, and i found it incredibly fun and exciting um, and around that time there was quite a lot of publicity about back to the future and i remember in particular after having seen the film we had a a, a box of cornflakes in the in the kitchen uh, or at least a few boxes of cornflakes that all of all of them had some Back to the Future promotion on the on the cornflakes packet, and there was a picture of Marty McFly and Doc Brown with the DeLorean, and uh, just the picture. I remember after having seen the film already, I remember at breakfast staring at the picture and just getting really absorbed in the the whole world of Back to the Future, and it really kind of had, it really caught my imagination, and I remember just watching looking at the picture and thinking, that was brilliant. I'd love to see that again. Uh, And since that time, I have seen the film on video and on TV countless times. And every time uh, I've watched it, I've understood more of the subtleties and intricacies of this complex plot. And also just enjoyed the pure fun of the franchise. Um, So let's have a look at the plot of the film. So two things. First of all, this could be complicated and long. And secondly, as I've already mentioned, spoilers, okay? So, what's the plot of the film? Have you seen it recently? Let's just go through the plot of, of the, these three films and um, the, the three movies. The first one was made in 1985. The second and third ones were made back-to-back at around the same time, uh, just a couple of years later, after the, after the first film. Um, and the films cover... Uh, let's see, how many periods? Four different time periods. So they all take place in the same location, a place called Hill Valley, um, which is somewhere in the, I don't know, somewhere in sort of the Midwest of the USA, just some average town in the United States. Um, Hill Valley, and and so the films all take place in the same location, but at four different periods of time. So um, in chronological order, we've got 1885, um, like the Old West, you know. Um, then 1955, that classic era of rock and roll music and uh, those cool big cars and, and uh, you know, teenagers going to the high school dance and, and everything we associate with the 1950s in America. Uh, the, then 1985, when the film was released. And then the future, uh, 2015, which of course is the year that we are in right now as I record this episode. So let's have a look at um, the storyline. So it follows the main character, who's called, whose name is Marty McFly. And Marty is an average, yet pretty cool teenager, um, struggling slightly to make the transition to adulthood. Essentially, he cares about his parents, his girlfriend Jennifer, playing guitar in his band, skateboarding, and his friend, Dr. Emmett Brown, who is an eccentric and ambitious physicist. Um, I think Marty is friends with Doc Brown because um, Doc Brown provides Marty with um, equipment that he uses uh, for music. So he kind of creates these pedals and amplifiers and stuff that Marty uses when he plays guitar. But he's also just a a friend of his. Um, So Marty's parents are very sweet, but family life is not very happy. His father in particular is a bit of a loser, and um, he has no leadership skills, and he still gets picked on by the school bully who hangs around the house uh, because he's he's uh, Marty's dad's boss. So Marty's dad's name is George. So uh, the bully's name is Biff. 
Um, so uh, Biff is George's boss, and Biff still hangs around the house, sort of um, picking on George. And he's been doing it since school because Biff um, at school in the 50s was the school bully and he used to pick on George then. And it seems that Biff also has a little bit of a crush on Marty's mum, whose name is Lorraine. Okay, so, um, yeah, Marty's parents, not that happy because it seems that uh, George is a bit of a loser and Lorraine is a, uh, well, it seems she's drinking too much. And then they've got Biff hanging around who's... George's boss and he keeps picking on George and it's all it's very bad for George's self-esteem and that's bad for the general um happiness of the family. So um uh Marty absolutely hates Biff with a passion, but there's not really much he can do about it. Um seeing his dad all week even though Marty's mum obviously still loves him is quite painful for Marty and you get the impression that family life isn't very happy for him perhaps this is why he has trouble concentrating at school and perhaps it's also why Marty cares more about playing the guitar in a band or hanging around with his weird scientist friend Doc Brown than he does doing his studies Uh, Marty also has a really awesome girlfriend called Jennifer and the two of them are very sweet together Uh, Uh, And apparently Jennifer is crazy about Marty and she's probably the best thing in his life. Um, Jennifer knows that Marty is basically a really cool guy with a lot of potential. And I guess this is why she loves him. And we know that Marty feels pretty pretty bad about his family situation. Uh, Marty is friends uh, with the local mad scientist, Dr. Emmett Brown, as I mentioned. And associating with Doc Brown is going to propel Marty on an incredible adventure through time. Uh, Doc Brown is the is the classic eccentric scientist. He's got bug eyes, you know, eye, eyes that pop out of his head. He's got crazy Einstein hair and lots of inventions and madcap ideas. He's a brilliant character. And he's really, really well played by the actor. What's the actor's name? Of course, it's uh, Christopher Lloyd. So uh, Doc Brown played very well by uh, Christopher Lloyd. Um, Marty McFly, of course, played by, um, what's his name? To be honest, I just had to check. I, had to, I can't believe I couldn't remember. Of course I know. It's Michael J. Fox. Of course I know that. But just, you know, in the heat of the moment, I couldn't remember. Um, and I had to check it on the internet. Uh, anyway, so um, Marty's f- good friends with Doc Brown. Uh, and also, another thing about Marty is that he's he has a weak point. Generally, he seems pretty cool. He's good at the guitar. He's not a very good student. But he does have one weak point, And that is uh, being called Chicken. He absolutely can't stand being called chicken. Um, And do you know what that means if someone calls you chicken? Oh, what's the matter? Are you chicken? Uh, If you're called chicken, it means that uh, someone is calling you a coward. It means that um, you've got no backbone. You're a coward. So, oh, what's the matter? Are you chicken? It means, are you a coward? All right, so... He can't stand being challenged in this way. He can't stand being called a coward or being called chicken. And this actually will be important later on in the story. Uh, one day, uh, Marty gets a message from Doc Brown, who asks him to meet him in the car park, in the Twin Pines Mall car park, um, in the in um, Hill Valley. And uh, Doc has something amazing to show Marty. So Marty turns up on his skateboard and the doc reveals his latest invention. Inspired by H.G. Wells, he's created a time machine. The cool thing about it is that it's housed inside a DeLorean sports car. Um, DeLorean was a car manufacturer 
that is completely stuck in the 80s because they went out of business before the decade over. Uh, Before the decade was over, uh, DeLorean went out of business. So they're completely stuck in the 80s. But the car is immortalised in the in the film, the DeLorean sports car. And it's a brilliant-looking car. Uh, apparently, it was chosen for the film because it looked kind of futuristic already. Apparently, it looked a bit like a UFO, and it had these... Um, these uh, doors that instead of opening normally they would open vertically I think they call them what gull wing doors and um, so these cool doors that lifted upwards the whole car had a cool futuristic uh, aesthetic and also it was made of aluminium which which made it look kind of uh, cool as well um, the, apparently the, the DeLorean is a total disaster as a car and one of the reasons why they went out of business is because it was such an appalling piece of uh, manufacturing and uh, you know apparently it, it, it wasn't very efficient and it was it, it, very heavy and difficult to control and it broke down a lot and uh, it, you know pieces would fall off it and things like that so uh, the DeLorean car wasn't a big success beyond this film. Um, but that's kind of cool because it, it means that um, the the car is just immortalised in, in the film. Um, so um, the key component in the DeLorean time machine is uh, the flux capacitor, uh, which is the thing that controls time. And this is um, something that Doc Brown thought of during a dream. Apparently, um, he was... fitting a a picture on the wall of his bathroom and he slipped and hit his head on the sink and then when he woke up he just had the image of the flux capacitor in his mind so it kind of came to him in a dream you know like the way some scientists have these eureka moments you know like Isaac Newton sitting there with and the apple fell on his head or Archimedes getting into the bath and the water rises and he goes you know eureka I've got it well in this case Doc Brown slipped and hit his head on a on the sink and then came up with the idea of the flux capacitor Um, I don't really know how the flux capacitor works works um but the main thing is that uh it's some kind of device that controls the space-time continuum we will go into the technical stuff a little bit later in this episode so um okay the basics though are that uh uh, in order to to use the time machine what you do is you program the precise date that you'd like to travel to and then once you've programmed those time coordinates in, you just accelerate the car up to 88 kilometers an hour, at which point you will be transported through time. Um, and it's really cool when it happens because the car gets covered in electricity and um, flames. Uh, there are two flame. It kind of leaves these trails of fire after it. And it's got a really cool special effect. And um the uh, Doc Brown first demonstrates it to Marty with his pet dog Einstein, and um, I'm going to play the audio to to that scene now. I think because it's got my favourite line in the scene where Doc Brown goes, "When this baby gets up to 88, you're going to see some." No, he goes, "Oh, I can't. I got it wrong." <sighs> I'm going to just play the scene to you. Okay, here we go. Okay, so Marty's arrived at the car park. And uh, sitting there on the uh, on the tarmac is Einstein, not the scientist, but um, uh, Doc Brown's dog, whose name is Einstein. And um, there's a truck there, and Marty just uh, stops and says hello to Einstein. And then the truck opens, and the DeLorean comes out. And then uh, Doc Brown pops out of the DeLorean, and they start having a conversation. So I'm just going to play that to you right now. Here we go. Einstein. Hey, Einstein, where's the dog, boy? 
Experiment. This is the big one, the one I've been waiting for all my life. Ah, uh, well, it's a DeLorean, right? Stay with me, Marty. All your questions will be answered. Roll yeah. tape. Okay, I will proceed. Ah, uh, Doc. Uh, is that a Devo? Never mind that now. Never mind that now. Not now. Not now. All right, I'm ready. Good evening. I'm Dr. Emmett Brown. I'm standing on the parking lot at Twin Pines Mall. It's Saturday morning, October 26, 1985, 1.18 a.m. And this is temporal experiment number one. Come on, Heidi. Hey, hey, boy, get in there. Ah, no, boy. In here you go. Sit down. So he's put Einstein into the car because Einstein is going to be his test subject in this uh, experiment uh, with the time machine. Please note that Einstein's clock is in precise synchronization with my control watch. Got it. Right, check done. Good. Have a good trip, Einstein. Watch your head. Get that thing hooked up to the car. Watch this. Yeah. Okay, this is a really cool moment because um, uh, uh, Doc Brown is remote controlling the car, and I always thought this was like such a cool scene because he's got like this remote control in his hand, and you see the car driving around the car park. Um, that really, that really appealed to me as a kid, and it still does. Um, Okay, so here we go. Let's carry on. You're going to hear the car driving around, and Doc Brown is controlling it by uh, remote control. Stop me! The car! The car! Um, what Doc Brown has done is position the car at the end of the car park and now he's pulled Marty and um, over so that they're both standing directly in front of the path of the car and he's he's got Marty to film all of this by the way so Doc Brown is kind of doing a little video diary of this experiment and what's going to happen is he's going to accelerate the car and it's going to f- uh, um, accelerate towards them and Marty thinks he's going to the car obviously he's going to th- he thinks the car's going to hit them uh, but then at the last moment it gets up to 88 and pow it goes um, into a wormhole i think my calculations are correct when this baby hits 88 miles per hour you're going to see some serious shit ah! 
occur at exactly 1.20 a.m. in zero seconds! Ah, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, Doc, you disintegrated Einstein. Calm down, Marty, I didn't disintegrate anything. The molecular structure of both Einstein and the car are completely intact. Where the hell are they? The appropriate question is, when the hell are they? You see, Einstein has just become the world's first time traveler. I sent him into the future. One minute into the future to be exact. And precisely, 1.21 a.m. in zero seconds, we shall catch up with him at the time machine. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> so he's <laughs> he's not just uh, surprised that he built a time machine, but he built one out of a DeLorean? Um, so apparently it's 88 miles per hour, not kilometers an hour. Okay. So amazing. The, the, the time machine actually works because a minute later, uh, the, the car arrives again from the future uh, with Einstein absolutely fine in the driver's seat. So it works. And um, Doc arranges for Marty to film him uh, presenting the time machine on home video. But at this point, some very angry Iranian terrorists turn up in a VW camper van. And they're very angry and they've got machine guns and rocket launchers and stuff. Apparently, Doc Brown stole some nuclear plutonium from them, which he's using to power the flux capacitor, and they want it back. Uh, and they seemingly um, they, they seemingly shoot Doc Brown dead in the car park with a machine gun, which is very shocking because already we've grown to like this character very much in the short period of time that he's been on screen, and it's a big shock to see him get shot. And then they then they start to go after Marty, and it's very dramatic, and um, he... Um, he decides the only way he can escape is to jump inside the DeLorean um, in order to get away. Um, and so there's a short chase around the car park with Marty driving the DeLorean and the terrorists following him in a camper van. And um, during this chase, accidentally, a date is added into the into the, the time machine. I think that when uh, Marty's like you know controlling the car, he knocks the time machine and a date appears. And it's 30 years previous to, to, to that current time. And the date is October the 26th, 1955. And during Marty's escape from the terrorists, um, the DeLorean hits 88 miles per hour and Marty is whipped away back to the past of 1955, where he finds himself driving through an open field. And this is actually the location of the mall car park, because the mall, obviously, in 1955, hasn't even been built yet. And Marty is driving through a field, and he crashes into a barn, and the drama is over. What happens next is that, basically, Marty explores Hill Valley in 1955. He hides the, the uh, DeLorean somewhere, and he goes into Hill Valley to explore, and he ends up getting caught up in the lives of his young parents, which interferes with the space-time continuum. Uh, because what normally happens is that his parents meet each other because George, uh, Marty's father, accidentally gets hit by uh, Lorraine's father's car. And so, by accident, Lorraine and George are brought together, and that's the moment that really kind of crystallises their relationship. Um, 
taking them down that particular uh, narrative path um, that we've already seen at the beginning of the film where they're kind of in a slightly unhappy future. Um, but what happens is um, instead of George being hit by Lorraine's dad's car, somehow it's Marty who gets hit by Lorraine's dad's car instead because uh, Marty's following his dad. He finds his dad in the past and he's trying to save him from from the car accident. It's Marty who gets hit by the car. And so this interrupts uh, the the previous narrative and changes everything because um, suddenly uh, Lorraine, um, Marty's mum, is not so interested in George anymore because she's got a crush on Marty. Oh, that's weird, isn't it? That's really weird because she's his mum and she doesn't realise. And so there's this weird kind of... Um, reverse Oedipus complex going on in this storyline. Very odd. Um, And this is interesting because it kind of makes you think, what would it be like um, if you travelled back in time and met your parents when they were your age? Have you ever thought of that? Have you ever considered that idea of going back in time and hanging out with your parents when you and them were the same age? Um, What would it be like? Would you get on with each other? What would you think of your your parents? What would they think of you? Would you be friends? What would it be like? And that's kind of what this first film explores to an extent of that weird, uh, you know, uh, fantasy of meeting up with your parents when you're all the same age. And it gets complicated because, as uh, as we know, Lorraine um, sort of falls for Marty and she has a crush on Marty. Um, So... um, um, what he then has to try and do is prevent Lorraine from being interested in him and try to get her and George back together. So he has to try to make sure his parents fall in love, just like before, ensuring that his existence is secured in the future. Because if they don't get together, then he will cease to exist, basically. You know, because they in the future they won't be married, they won't have kids, and then Marty will just disappear from existence. And as well as that, Marty needs to find a way to save the life of his best friend, Doc Brown, who was, as we know, shot to death by terrorists back in 1985. So, in fact, he's got three things he needs to do. One of them is is get his parents together. Second thing is get back to the future somehow. And the third thing is find a way to save Doc Brown's life. And essentially what happens with the parents is... um, I've already said that. His mum falls in love with him. And this is a very weird and yet very compelling plot device. Um, So everything, it's quite interesting because everything's a bit different because it's the past. It's it's the sort of golden era, 1955, United States of America. And so there's that fun that you can have with taking someone from the 80s and putting them in the 50s and he's a fish out of water. And there's lots of funny moments where, you know, there's a clash of, of cultures between the present day of 1985 and the past. Um, his mum has a big crush on him, so he has to try and avoid her. Um, he has to try and engineer uh, his parents' relationship. And he also has to try and avoid the town bully, who is Biff, of course. Um, and Biff is there, and he's interested in Marty's mum as well. Um, and so um, Marty needs to try and get um, uh, get Biff out of the way to um, allow George to, to step in. And as well as this, he has a couple of run-ins with Mr. Strickland, who is the amusingly 
um, strict um, high school teacher who in 1985 is exactly the same as he is in 1955. So that's kind of a funny thing that he hasn't changed at all. Um, Marty cleverly manages to track down the only man who can help him get back to the future. And that is, of course, the younger version of Doc Brown, also played by Christopher Lloyd, and he's not that much different either. It's quite funny that there are certain constants in this throughout the the, the, the different time periods. Certain things stay constant. And I quite like that, that Doc Brown is always a grey-haired, mad scientist. He just looks slightly younger in the 1955 version. And so Marty manages to find uh, Doc Brown, and he convinces him that his story is true, that he has come back from the future, and he did it using a time machine that he, the Doc, in fact, invented. And he introduces him to the DeLorean, and he tells him about the flux capacitor. Um, And one of the cool things about this is that by introducing the Doc to his own invention, Marty actually ensures that the flux capacitor gets invented in the first place, somehow. Um, The two guys, Doc and Marty, hatch a plan to get the parents back together to stop Marty from disappearing from existence and also to work out a way to utilise the power of a lightning strike to get the DeLorean up to 88 so Marty can go go back to the future because of course in 1955 they don't have access to plutonium, I think. Um, So they need to find another way of powering the flux capacitor and it's quite cool because We know from 1985 that the clock tower in Hill Valley Square was struck famously by lightning in 1955, okay? It's like a well-known fact uh, because the clock tower is broken because everyone in the town knows it was struck by lightning in 1955. So Marty realises they can use the lightning strike. He knows exactly when it's going to happen. because the the hands of the clock are frozen and Marty has a picture of it in his pocket because it's someone gave him a, a poster um, uh, with a, that happened to have the picture on it. So they know exactly when the lightning will strike, so that's their plan. Doc Brown decides to plan some sort of system where the electricity from the lightning strike will be transferred into the flux capacitor at exactly the right moment, transporting uh, Marty back to the future. Okay, uh, We see Marty attempting to get his parents back together which fails most of the time uh, Biff usually gets involved and there's a dramatic scene in which the cowardly George decides to stand up to him winning Mary's affections and securing Marty's future and that's a kind of an emotional dramatic moment where George uh, gets his courage together and punches Biff in the face in the process Marty manages to do a number of things like he manages to invent rock and roll music by playing some Chuck Berry during the school prom and a few other things as well. And Marty is desperate to tell Doc um, throughout the film that in 1985 he will be killed by Libyan terrorists. But Doc refuses to listen, saying that it's very dangerous to know anything about your own future. He's worried that the knowledge will haunt him or that it will somehow create some kind of time paradox. So Doc refuses to, to hear a about what Marty has to say about his his future warning. Uh, nevertheless, Marty writes him a note uh, warning him of the fu- of the shooting, and uh, Doc Brown cuts it up into pieces, refusing to read it. And this is alarming to us because we know that Doc Brown is going to get shot in the future. But that particular part of the story is not dealt with any further. 
and they come back to it later on in the series. Yet there is more drama as Marty and Doc attempt to hook up the cable to the clock tower to make sure that they harness the electrical power from the lightning strike. And it's really edge of the seat stuff because, you know, there's a chance it's not going to happen. And uh, we end up with Doc Brown, a very sort of um, very significantly... Um, uh, hanging from the hand of one of the clocks, no, hanging from one of the clock hands on the the clock there. So it's you know he's literally holding on. It's a very symbolic moment uh, with the with the clock and everything in the drama. Um, and but it actually works. They manage to connect the cables at the right time, and Marty manages to take the DeLorean to eighty eight as the lightning strikes, and he goes back to the future. But in Back to the Future, in the future in nineteen eighty five, things are a little bit different. Because um, because of Marty's involvement in 1955, he's managed to engineer it even better. In fact, things in the family seem to be much better now. Um, and um, so since George stood up to Biff in 1955, George is now a different man. He's much more confident and successful, and Biff is now far more subservient to him. The family is richer, the parents' marriage seems to be healthier, and Marty... Uh, himself looks into the garage uh, to discover his dream car there waiting for him. So the future is apparently much better. Uh, Jennifer is also there, and she's the same, of course, because she was already perfect, and they kiss. And that looks like the end of the film. But at that moment, Doc Brown suddenly turns up in the DeLorean, saying that both uh, Marty and Jennifer... Uh, have to come with him on a matter of urgency as it involves their children in the future. They all get into the DeLorean, ready to take it up to 88 and travel into the future. And Marty says, Doc, don't we need more road to get up to 88? And Doc says the famous line, Marty, where we're going, we don't need roads. And then the car takes off into the air and we see that it's actually a flying car. And then they race off into the sky and disappear into the future. Wow. What a rip-roaring and exciting ride the, the first episode is. And for me, it's almost a perfect film. Even though there are some issues with the storyline, I feel like it's almost the perfect film because it just always keeps me entertained. The pace is so good. Um, the characters are, are quite well-drawn, even though they're a bit caricature, they're a bit over-the-top. Um, it's, it's just a lot of fun and lots of energy. Uh, I love the complexities of the story, the dramatic set pieces, the eccentric and cartoonish performances by all the actors, and the fun the film has by playing around with the differences in culture between 1955 and 1985. There are lots of self-referential jokes and small details to notice, including little similarities uh, that occur uh, in all of the episodes um, of, of the movie. Um, little similarities and also little consequences between the different time periods. So that's Back to the Future 1. Now I have to explain Back to the Future 2. And if you've seen this film, which I think most of you have, then you'll know that this is when things get complicated, all right? So um, let's go. I'm going to try and do Back to the Future 2 now. Um, here we go. So um, why did Doc Brown come back to see uh, Marty and Jennifer? What what What's the thing that he needs to show them in the future? Well, um, Doc Brown has managed to... F well, he's been to the future. So after the experiment of going to the past, Doc Brown, in the meantime, has travelled to the future and he's looked around and he's investigated a little bit and he's noticed that Marty's future son, who in fact looks just like Marty because he's played by the same actor, Michael J. Fox, 
Marty's son is a bit of a loser in the future. Things are not going very well in the future for Marty and his family. And in particular, Marty's son is going to get caught up in a robbery and he's going to be arrested and thrown in jail. And this is terrible, right? So Doc Brown decides to form a plan in which Marty will go to the future and pretend to be his son and actually prevent the robbery from happening, prevent him being involved in the robbery, making everything all right. So Marty's got to go into the future to save his son. Essentially, they prevent the crime, so that that's a success. Marty poses as his son, and they prevent the crime. And during the early scene, we uh, we see Marty stepping out of the time machine in the future, where uh, everything's different, and he walks through Hill Valley just like he did in the in the in Back to the Future One in 1985 and in 1955. We see the same walk around the, uh, the 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 square in Hill Valley, but this time it's 2015, and this is. Um, Uh, A kind of a famous scene because as we uh, see him wandering around, we see how different everything is in the future. And we see all these different predictions of what they expect life in 2015 to look like. So cars look futuristic and they fly. Uh, Droids, uh, robots do all basic service jobs like operating um, the uh, petrol station or serving you in cafes and things. There's a holographic animated advertisement for a Jaws movie. And it's a big 3D hologram that leaps out of a screen on the side of a building and comes down to eat uh, Marty and it's like an amazing sort of 3D hologram movie. Um, People have things like self-drying clothes, clothes that dry themselves when they get wet, shoes with automatic laces, clothes which automatically adjust their size to fit the person they're wearing. And also, crucially, kids now, instead of riding skateboards like they did in the 80s, they're now riding hoverboards, which are like skateboards except the fact that they hover a few inches above the ground somehow. We don't really know how, but uh, they just hover above the ground. Um, So Marty manages to replace his son and say no to the dodgy criminals who are trying to get him involved in a bank robbery. And that group of sort of... um, sort of... uh, let's say criminals, Let that, that group of criminals is led by Griff, who is actually related to Biff. I think he might be maybe his son or his grandson. Anyway, I think it's probably his son. Um, so Griff is Biff's son, and he's played by the same actor who's play, who plays Biff in the previous film as well. Um, so Marty manages to avoid getting involved in the Griff uh, bank robbery. But in the process, Marty manages to get into a fight with Griff, uh, who is the 2015 town bully, uh, complete with physical implants and an advanced hoverboard and a really bad attitude. And it's quite interesting because the fight that he has with Griff is just like the fights that he had with Biff in the first film. So there's history repeating itself, which is quite fun. Uh, Marty gets away from Griff. He escapes from him and he manages to get back to the dock. Um, mission accomplished. Uh, but we learn uh, we learn that Marty, while in the futuristic version of Hill Valley, has picked up a sports almanac, which is basically a, a little book which contains a summary of sports results over the last 60 years. He casually picks up the sports almanac because he thought that he might place a few bets Uh, in order to make a little bit of money on the side. But when Doc Brown discovers this, he gets very angry with Marty, demanding that Marty throw away the almanac because it's far too dangerous to mess with the space-time continuum. The results could be catastrophic. What they don't realise 
in fact, is that the old Biff from episode one, Biff from episode one, who now is an old man, who still lives in Hill Valley, he actually was listening to this conversation and he's worked out what's going on. He's worked out that Doc Brown has invented a time machine. He's recognised Marty and he's he's put two and two together and he's worked out that if Biff steals the almanac from the bin, that's the, the almanac that was thrown away, that if he steals it and he can then somehow use it to, uh, you can use the time machine to go back to 1955 and give the young Biff the almanac so that he can then make money from gambling and uh, uh, have a really great life. So uh, that's Biff's, that's old Biff's evil plan to go back and give young Biff the sports almanac in order to get rich. Okay. Um, meanwhile, what about Jennifer? Remember, she was brought into the future as well. So the police have actually picked up the young Jennifer, who they found unconscious, because um, I think that she passed out when she got to the future, or or the Doc Brown sort of made her fall asleep because it was, um, you know, too dangerous for her to be walking around. So she was asleep in a doorway, and they identify the police pick her up and they identify her using her fing- fingerprint, which of course is the same. It's still the same fingerprint. So they think that she is the older Jennifer, even though she looks young. And they decide to take her home. But the doc realises that this could be disastrous because if young Jennifer wakes up and meets old Jennifer, if they meet each other, it could create some kind of rift in the space-time continuum, which ultimately could just bring about an end to the universe. Some sort of time loop or time-temporal paradox in which the uh, the very fabric of the space-time continuum would unravel, destroying the whole universe in the process, um, which is generally a bad thing, isn't it, really? Um, so... Okay, so uh, Doc Brown and Marty follow the police back to the McFly household in 2015 in order to try and prevent Jennifer from meeting her older self. Um, and we, we then see the McFly household in the future and we look at Marty's family in the future and basically they're a bit of a, they're a kind of a bunch of weirdos and misfits and losers again. The children are stupid and foolish and something has gone wrong with Marty. He's just not the same. Um, it seems that at some point in his in his later youth, he was involved in a car accident which injured his hand. And as a result, he wasn't able to pursue his dream career, which was that of a rock guitarist. Because of the car accident, he could never be a rock guitarist. So he's ended up in a dead-end job, which he hates, and which we see him get fired from. So his life is a mess. It's a disaster. Um, and... Um, that car accident is actually very important. It it happens a bit later after the events of uh, Back to the Future 1. Um, basically, the, the car accident, Marty is driving his new cool pickup truck that we see at the end of Back to the Future 1 when he gets challenged to a race by the local bully, who is another guy a bit like Biff. Marty declines and the bully says, "'What's the matter, McFly, you chicken?' And we know, of course, from countless other occasions that Marty just can't stand being called a coward and he loses his judgment and instead takes on the drag race challenge, but he crashes and injures his hand. 
And then from that for that point onwards, we'll, we know that he will never be a guitarist. He'll end up in a job he hates and the future will be unhappy. That's the future we see in 2015. That's a bit of a shock. And Marty realises that he has to try and do something to prevent this unhappy future from happening. He has to remember to avoid the car crash, which seems bound to happen sometime later in 1985. And that's really a question of Marty managing to control that weak point that he has about being called a coward. Uh, Doc Brown worries that they're having too much of an impact on the future and that this is going to create a paradox of some kind. Um, The car crash scenario that jeopardises the future is left open at the moment, but is resolved later on at the end of episode three. So little do they realise... Doc and Marty, while they're rescuing um, uh, Jennifer, little do they realise that while they're doing that, the old Biff has broken into the DeLorean and he's used it to travel back in time to 1955, give the sports almanac to his younger self, that's young, the stupid young Biff, um, and then come back to the future again. And we see the old Biff exhausted by his efforts in the past, um, where he's given the, the almanac to young Biff. He struggles to get out of the car in nineteen uh, in 2015, and he breaks his walking stick in the process, and that you can see a part of the stick is left in the car, which later on will show to Doc Brown and Marty that it was, in fact, old Biff who stole the car and that, um, that this is a, a new problem to solve. Okay, are you following this, everyone? Are you following this? It's a bit of a complicated episode, isn't it? Uh, with all these details in the story, you might be thinking, do you need to go into so much detail, Luke? Do you? Well, um, look, I've just decided to go into this much detail, all right? I think I'm going to deal with the rest of the plot of this episode and the next one um, in in this particular part of um, this podcast series. Is that Does that make sense? I'm going to do Back to the Future 2 and Back to the Future 3's plots in this episode. And then in the next one, we'll go on to those other themes like future predictions and uh, how the time machine works and all that stuff. So this one really is all about the plot. Um, I think you've probably worked that out by now, haven't you? Um, Okay, so um, what happens is Marty and Doc um, go back to 1985 but something's wrong. Everything is horribly different. They don't realise that Biff has stolen the time machine at that point. So they go back to, to 1985. It's all different. It's all really horrible. It turns out that because of the book that Biff, old Biff gave to young Biff, young Biff has become the richest and most powerful man in Hill Valley. In fact, his influence extends all the way into Marty's family life because Biff is now married to Marty's mother, Lorraine, and Marty is forced to live under Biff's roof. And Biff is a hugely powerful bad guy now. He's like a sort of mafia boss or something. Um, And it turns out also that he's killed Marty's father, George. He had George killed so that he could uh, um, marry uh, Lorraine. And this is terrible. It's horrible. It's like a nightmare. Under Biff's influence, Hill Valley has become a lawless wasteland with crime everywhere. Um, so um, Marty decides to get Doc Brown's help again, and and um, he explains what's happened. So Doc Brown and uh, explains to Marty what's gone wrong. Apparently, when uh, the when young Biff got the book and started gambling with it, it created a new version 
of time. So time went off on a tangent and it's created a new version of 1985. Okay, so it's gone off into an alternative reality. What they need to do is go back to the time, back to 1955 and prevent young Biff from getting that book so that uh, normal 1985 will actually happen. Okay, um, so um, I could go into more detail about different theories of time at this point, but it's a bit too confusing and I'm going to go, I'm going to come back to the different time theories. Um, actually, no. Wait, oh, oh. Okay, all right, I will. I'll try and talk about um, the different theories of time travel in a simple way uh, right now. And I guess there are basically two versions of... um, uh, There are two versions of the way in which time travel can affect things. And this is a bit basic because, you know, I'm not an astrophysicist. I'm not uh, a quantum physicist. I'm an English teacher. But anyway, let's see. The first version... Uh, of this theory says that there's just one universe with one time narrative, okay? So big events can significantly change the course of history, and when it does, all the other possible versions of history just get erased from existence, all right? With one version of time remaining. For example, when Biff gives the sports almanac to his younger self, this causes a whole new branch of time to happen in which everything is terrible, and I guess the other version of time just gets erased from existence, you see? Um, but that there is a paradox there. I might mention it in a moment. Um, but another version of this would be when Marty goes back and changes the past so that his parents grow up happy and successful, that erases the less happy version of events. So there's just one, one narrative. But there is a paradox here because um, if the other version of history disappeared, then surely our version of Marty would disappear too. So if Biff changed the past so that the events of Back to the Future 1 never happened, then our Marty would surely cease to exist, and in fact, Back to the Future 1 would never have happened at all. But that's not the case, because in in the film, we have many different versions of history, and Marty and Doc travel from one of those versions to another one across time, um, and there are in fact three versions of 1985. The first one, which is the the one where George is a loser and Lorraine is an alcoholic. The second one, where everything's great and um, Marty's got a, a cool car. And the third one, which is where Biff is in charge and everything is absolutely horrible. Now, Marty comes from version one, but he appears in all those versions. So it seems to suggest that when a big event happens, it different parallel universes split off from each other. And it may be possible to enter different parallel universes by affecting time before them. Huh? Confusing? A little bit, yeah. So basically, I suppose that Back to the Future proposes some sort of multi-universe theory, which is about the idea that whenever anything happens, different versions of history branch off from that moment, creating another parallel universe. For example, when when Biff gets the sports almanac, a new parallel universe is created. But isn't it possible by that logic that at any moment there could be so many possibilities, so many parallel universes happening at the same moment that in fact there's a parallel universe being created all the time in which each possible event with all its consequences after it is constantly branching out from this moment now. And that would mean that an infinite number of parallel universes are being created infinitely 
with every single passing of time, basically creating infinite possibilities across infinite parallel versions of reality. What? Um, yeah, that's confusing. Why is it, in, in the story, why is it that just a big event, like a kiss or a sports almanac coming into your possession, changes time? Why is it just the big events that change time? If it's just a small change, does time just kind of like come back to normal and carry on? I don't know. Maybe that's too complicated. But don't worry if it's not clear, because that's kind of the point. Um, To really understand these complicated paradoxes about time and logic, then you need to be a bit of a specialist, okay? So luckily for us, Back to the Future goes for the more simplistic version, stating that basically there's just one or two planes of existence, and big significant events can cause those planes to happen, influencing the future. So we don't need to worry about infinite possibilities. Let's just stick to one or two parallel universes. And having access to all the sports results, for example, could be one of the big events that creates a parallel universe. Again, this is the genius of the film, really, because it manages to skate around these problematic questions while dipping into the science at certain moments to give the the story enough depth while keeping the energy and entertainment up. So it it's sort of the sort of film that can appeal to adults with a broad mind who might want to speculate about the physics and the logic, but also it can appeal to an eight-year-old kid who just likes the excitement of an adventure of what's happening. Um, so, Marty and Doc go back... This is still Back to the Future 2, all right? Marty and Doc go back to 1980, 1955 from the bad version of 1985 with their flying DeLorean in order to stop Biff from getting the almanac. And then, back in 1955 again, around the same events of Back to the Future 1, we see some really cool scenes in which Marty is running around in Hill Valley, 1955, at the same time, by coincidence, that he was there in Back to the Future 1, trying to save his parents' marriage. And we actually see some some of the scenes and moments from Back to the Future 1, but from a different angle, from different perspective. Uh, And other things where the the, the storylines cross over and Marty has to save his other self uh, without them even meeting. It's really brilliant. It's so clever. And there are lots of situations in which history repeats itself and there are crossovers with the storylines and so on. Um, In the end, basically, Marty manages to prevent Biff from getting the sports almanac, saving the future again. Okay, so he's done it. He takes the, in some dramatic chase sequences and so on, he manages to get the sports almanac away from Biff. Biff ends up, I think in in every single episode, there's a fight with Biff and Biff ends up um, getting covered in horse manure. He crashes his car into a big truck full of horse manure. The manure falls over him and he goes, I hate manure! Um, and in the original one, he crashes into another car full of horse manure and it falls over him. And in the future, he, I think he ends up in some sort of poo or something in the future. And then in, in 1885 as well, he ends up getting covered in horse manure. So uh, in every single story, Biff gets covered in horse manure, which is quite fun. Um, so, um, so Marty steals uh, the uh, almanac back from Biff and uh, he manages to save the future uh, from that horrible uh, nightmare version. Um, so, um, uh, that's, that's it. And um, so, um, then, um, what happens? Doc Brown turns up again in order to collect Marty 
and deliver him safely and both of them safely back to 1985. So Doc Brown appears in the flying car, but there's a storm happening. It's the same storm that happened at the end of uh, the 1955 Back to the Future episode, the one where there was a lightning strike which allowed Marty to go back to the future originally. Is this too complicated? I wonder uh, if it is. It might be. But anyway, there's a storm happening. Doc has arrived in order to bring them both back to 1985 so everything can go back to normal again. But... Um, as Doc is about to pick up Marty, the DeLorean in the air gets struck by lightning from that same storm. And this causes the time machine to malfunction, sending Doc uh, accidentally to an unknown place and time. Boom, he's gone. We don't know where he's gone. You don't, we don't know when he's gone. Wow. Great Scott. Where did he go? Is Marty stuck in 1955? Drama at the end uh, of the episode. And Immediately, uh, so Marty is left there standing in the rain uh, with this puff of smoke in the sky because the lightning struck the DeLorean and the DeLorean has disappeared. And we don't know where the dock and the DeLorean have gone. So Marty's standing in the rain just thinking, oh my God, what's going to happen now? And immediately at that moment, a postman arrives in the rain with an umbrella and he gives a letter, an old letter to Marty. And apparently the letter has been held at the post office since 1885 with strict instructions for it to be delivered to Marty at this precise moment. And it's a letter from Doc Brown. He's stuck in 1885 when Hill Valley was a cowboy town. And what he's done is he's written a letter to Marty and given strict instructions to the town post office to keep it in the safe and to give it to a young guy who answers to the name of Marty, who will be standing in this spot on this particular date in this year. Um, and um, so Marty then realises that he's the only... that He realises he has to go back to... Somehow, you know, to go back to 19, uh, 1885 in order to save Doc and rescue him from the past. Um, and uh, who's the only person who can help him do it? Well, of course, it's the Doc himself. The Only the Doc can help... Doc, save the Doc. It, does that make sense? And uh, there is another Doc Brown available to him at that time. It's the one who, in Hill Valley Square, has just helped Marty McFly go back to 1985. So there's the original 1955 Doc is still there. Um, so Marty runs uh, to find uh, Doc Brown in the town square. And he even sees himself go back to the future from back to the future one so he sees the whole thing happen and uh the 1955 doc is standing there exhausted and delighted he's done it he's sent marty back to the future but then our marty taps him on the shoulder and doc turns round and promptly passes out he faints right there in the road bang on the floor um probably thinking like but i just sent you back to the future what are you doing here unable to comprehend that Marty is now back again and needs his help. And that's when Back to the Future uh, 2 ends and we get Back to the Future 3. And I'm now going to give you this, the storyline to Back to the Future 3, okay? Um, so, um, after Doc has woken up and worked out what's going on uh, in 1955, he decides that the only thing he can do is to send Marty back to 1885 in order to save uh, to save him. Okay, where is the DeLorean? 
uh, at this point, you might be thinking, where's the DeLorean? Because both versions just disappeared. One of them in 1985, uh, sorry, one of them went to 1985, and the other one went back to 1885. So where's the DeLorean? Well, um, first of all, how come there are two DeLoreans? In fact, I think there are three DeLoreans at, at, at one point. How is this possible? Can you multiply things by traveling in time? Apparently you can. But anyway, the fact is, there is a DeLorean there for them. And it's the 1885 DeLorean. The, um, and um, in fact, in the letter, Doc Brown says that he's left the DeLorean in an abandoned mine, a mine, you know, under the ground. An abandoned mine um, is where the DeLorean is. And he's given Marty and, and, and the 1955 Doc instructions on how to find it. And that's exactly what they do. Um, so they they find the DeLorean, the old DeLorean, in the in the mine, and they repair it, and they send Marty back to uh, 1885. And so then the rest of the film takes place in the Old West, the 1885 version of uh, Hill Valley. And it's a sort of a Western at that point. But again, we get the theme of the fish out of water. Marty from, 80, from 1985 is in the Old West of 1885, and lots of history is repeating itself again. He sees members of his own family, like his descend, uh, his ancestors, and they're played by him. And uh, we see uh, Biff's ancestors, uh, and the... What's the... What, the the guy's called Mad Dog Biff Tannen? Mad Dog Tannen or something. And again, he's like the local bully... Uh, he's a kind of a, a gunslinger, no good gunslinger. So it's kind of the same thing, but in the Wild West of 1885. Um, so to make a long story only very slightly less long, um, Marty basically goes back to 1885. He finds Doc Brown and they attempt to create a plan for how to get them both back to the future. And the problem is that the DeLorean is damaged, you see, because when um, Marty arrived in 1885 he was being chased he immediately got caught up in a chase with some uh uh like he got caught up in a fight between some cowboys and indians and during the process the fuel tank got punctured by an arrow and um so there's no fuel in the in the delorean and of course there's no petrol in 1885 so how are they going to get the DeLorean up to 88 in order to send them back to the future. Well, they work out a plan, which is to get a locomotive train, a steam-powered train, uh, to travel at 88 miles, uh, 88 miles per hour uh, on a long section of, of uh, track. Uh, the track isn't finished. In fact, the track finishes just in front of a huge ravine. But they both think that they've got enough track to get the train up to 88 in order to send the DeLorean uh, back to the future. Okay, so the train is going to push the DeLorean to 88, and then the DeLorean will travel back to 1985, and the train will disappear off the, uh, off the end of the track and into the uh, ravine. Okay, but things are going to get, as, as you might expect, things get complicated because Doc Brown ends up falling head over heels in love with a woman that he's met called Dolores. Dolores? Yeah, that's how you say it. She ends up getting tangled in in the time travel attempt, and then Doc Brown saves her life, but he's forced to stay in the past. So Doc Brown stays in the past with his new the new love of his life, and Marty, though, goes back in the DeLorean to 1985. And there the DeLorean is finally destroyed. 
which is ironic in, in an ironic way because the DeLorean appears in 1985 on the same train tracks the train tracks that still exist in the same spot in in 1985 um the tracks um so are still there and the DeLorean arrives and Marty just manages to get out of the DeLorean before it's destroyed by an oncoming train boom the DeLorean explodes end of DeLorean um and um so that's it the that this has occurred after the original trip to 1955 in the car park so the DeLorean has been erased from existence I guess I think from the for the moment I think um Marty finds Jennifer and they are re- reunited and then we thought that Doc Brown was stuck in the past with his uh, with the love of his life but in fact finally at the end we see Doc Brown dramatically arrive uh with uh, Dolores and this time he's created a time machine made from a train using steam technology to power a new flux capacitor. It's not really clear how he does this. And of course, it, I, I doubt that it's possible to, to uh, get 1.21 gigawatts of power from a steam train. But, uh, you know, artistic license, I suppose. Um so he's created a new uh, time machine from a train. It's a kind of steampunk time machine. And then uh, they travel off together uh, somewhere uh, to have an, another adventure with their two children that they've had. And they've named their kids Jules and Vern. Um, so that's it. It's a happy ending. But there is still one loose end. Do you know what it is? Well, uh, Marty has to make sure that he doesn't have that car accident, remember? The car accident in which uh, he um, is uh, he's challenged to a car race and uh, he can't back down because someone calls him a chicken. So he needs to actually try and prevent that unhappy future in which he injures his hand and his dreams of being a guitarist go up in smoke and he's forced into a soul-destroying job that he hates. Um so he needs to prevent that. And Marty and Jennifer drive away in Marty's cool uh, pickup truck that he has in the good version of 1985. And they stop at a junction. And at that point, the bully pulls up beside them in another car and he challenges Marty to a drag race. But Marty manages to um, get on top of his um, himself. He keeps control. He doesn't lose judgment. Uh, even though the bully calls him a chicken, Marty this time has the strength of character to resist the challenge. And in fact, it's the bully who crashes. Uh, but Marty and Jennifer are fine and their future is secured. And in fact, we don't know what this good version of the future will be. But we know that uh, as Doc Brown says at the end, the great thing is that your future is unwritten. In fact, I'm going to find that quote and play it to you. So what you're going to hear now is uh, Marty and Jennifer uh, by the side of the train tracks uh, where the DeLorean has been destroyed, and Marty's saying, I'm really going to miss Doc Brown. I'm sure going to miss him, Jen. And then Doc Brown appears in the this awesome uh, time machine train, and that's when he delivers that speech, which is something along the lines of, uh, your future is unwritten, and it's up to you uh, to to design it in the way that you want. Okay. I, it's, it's delivered a lot better uh, in the movie, so I'll just play it to you. Here we go. Sure, gonna miss him, Jen. What the hell? Oh. 
not Doc. Dak, Dak, and not Marty. Marty! So, obviously, it's American. Dak, not Doc. Dark, Dark, Doc. Marty! Marty. All right, so, American, British, English, fine. Let's carry on. Meet the family! Where are you now? Hi, Marty! Okay, her name's Clara, not Dolores. Okay, I got that wrong. Doesn't matter, though, does it? Doesn't matter. Jules and Vern. <laughs> Boys, this is Marty and Jennifer. Doc, I thought I'd never see you again. You can't keep a gun tied us down. After all, I had to come back right side. Well, I didn't want you to be worried about me. Oh, I brought you a little souvenir. So the souvenir is a, a picture of um, Marty and George standing by a clock, and it's a kind of a, a memento uh, from um, the Doctor Marty. It's a picture of the two of them together. It's like a very emotional moment, actually. Really emotional. I'm I'm fine. I'm not crying. I'm fine. It's great, Doc. Thanks, Doctor Brown. I brought this note back from the future and. Now it's a race. Of course it's a race. But what does that mean? It means your future hasn't been written yet. No one's has. Your future is whatever you make it. So make it a good one. Both of you. We will, Doc. Stand back. All right, boys, buckle up. Hey, Doc! Where are you going now? Back to the future? Nope. Already been there. Okay, all right, so you hear the train taking off. We don't know where Doc's going. Is he going to go into the future or the past? It's left open. Um, okay, so there you go. Um, it, they all end happily ever after, and uh, that's the end of the the, the, the trilogy. Um, now, I realise I've just spent the whole of this episode just telling you the story of Back to the Future. Um, I wonder how you feel about that. Uh, some of you are probably thinking, great, I love the film. I love listening to you tell the story. That's fine. Some of you might be thinking, uh, I've never seen it. Uh, I found that this went on a bit. I don't know. I might have just bored the pants off some of you. Um, I, I'm aware of that. Um, but uh, hopefully not all of you. I'm sure that there are some of you out there who love the film and um, love to just join me in celebrating the storyline. I need. I felt I needed to go through the story in order to allow there to be enough context for the other stuff I'm going to talk about, which will be things like how the time machine works and themes that are develop, dealt with in the story and stuff like that. So 
there you go. That's just me justifying it. But I don't need to justify anything, do I? Of course I don't. This is Luke's English podcast. It's my podcast. I can do whatever I like. But, you know, I'm just trying to make my listeners... I'm just trying to make you happy. I just want to deliver the right kind of uh, listening uh, content for you just so that you in- actually enjoy listening to this. But I know you can't please all the people all the time. Uh, but I just have to try and do my best. But anyway, regardless of whether you enjoyed it or not, I certainly did. Uh, that was a lot of fun for me to uh, kind of go through the story and just sort of like uh, uh, remember some of the stuff about those films that I like so much. Uh, but that we're not finished. There are other things. I'm going to talk about uh, uh, some of the... We're going to go a bit deeper into the story and talk about some of the, the basic themes or things we can learn from, from this uh, film. Um, some facts about... Um, the, the films, maybe some things you you didn't know. Um, and also we'll, we'll um, examine the future, that vision of the future for 2015. How many of the predictions did they get right? Um, and uh, also we will talk about um, generally um, how... How do how is it possible to t- travel in time? Is it possible to travel in time? Um, and... Uh, also, we'll look at the DeLorean as a time machine and some of the technical aspects of that. Okay, then. Right, so that'll come up in the next episode. Um, that's it for this one. Leave your comments on the page for the episode as usual. Um, but I really should stop talking now so that this doesn't become far too long or, and longer than necessary. All right, so that's it. Thanks for listening. Speak to you soon. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks again for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar, and pronunciation teaching from me, and the usual moments of humor and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.